Welcome to Willie's World. I'm your host, Willie Biggs, and in today's show, we go deep, like deep, deep, with former UFC lightweight champion Jamie Varner. We chat about the history of MMA in Arizona, how he got where he is in life, winning, defending, and later losing a UFC lightweight championship. Jamie also goes on to tell us about the time he shocked the world when he beat rising lightweight star Edson Barbosa, why he retired, the state of MMA in 2020, and if anyone can really beat the powerhouse that is Khabib Nurmagomedov. Check it all out in today's episode of the Willie's World podcast. Willie's World! Willie's World! Party time! Excellent! <laughs> Welcome to the Willie's World Podcast. Dopest dope you're ever going to smoke. Today we're in the studio with the main man. Actually, we're not in the studio. We're on the Zoom call. Um, straight from Phoenix, Arizona, Jamie Varner, former UFC lightweight champion, um, OG legend of the MMA world. How are you going, Jamie? How's lockdown treating you? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, we were talking a little bit off air. Uh, lockdown isn't good for a guy with my personality. I'm very much so extroverted um i i thrive well in like group environments so like when i go to the gym and stuff i feed off the energy of other people around in the gym and so having all the gyms shut down having all the restaurants shut down not really being able to go out and do much um socially has been has been pretty tough but um one of the good positives that that come out of it i've I've gotten a couple puppies so i got two 10-week-old chocolate lab puppies and they're awesome And, uh, I see. I saw you on on socials. You got a you got a lot of dogs, eh? <laughs> yeah, I rescued. I just rescued a dog yesterday. Um, I got a call last minute. Uh, one of my buddies is a flooring contractor, and this dog has just been kept in the kennel. Like it's in the kennel for like twenty two hours a day. Never gets socialized. Poor little, it was, poor little boss. Yeah. Oh, they're so good, man. I got four dogs, and I got a pet camel and a bunch of horses. They're fucking. They're the. They're your family, man. There, I, I, I 100% agree. I grew up with like pigs, chickens, turkeys, goats, and so like they were. They, we didn't eat them. They were they were part of our family. And uh, these people like kept this dog in its in like a separate room in a kennel all day long. And he's uh, he's probably 30 pounds overweight. Um, but I, I like when my buddy called me and told me about told me the story. I'm like, yeah, uh, I'll be there in an hour. So I went and picked them up brought him home. We've gone on a couple of walks. The goal is to try to get him to lose 20 pounds and we'll try to rehome him with, uh, I think we're going to try to rehome him with my girlfriend's uh, grandfather. Uh, he hikes like five miles a week. He's in his eighties and he's a pretty active dude. So I feel like this could be like a good little thing for both of them. Like help, help the dog. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you're dog connecting. You're the Cupid of the animal world. That's, that's, that's it. That's, <laughs> you've been a day matching. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your history how did you um how did you originally get into mixed martial arts where are you from and um what, yeah, what kind um, of got you into it were you a, were you a brawler at school and you know do you do you have big older brothers that used to beat you up or did you um and you had to stand your ground in your household or you know what what was the what was the kind of the the beginning of this whole journey that led you on this path to um to where you're at now Okay. Well, I mean, great question. It's, um, I'll try to give you like a shortened, condensed version. Um, Speak as long as you want, man. That's the good thing about podcasts. You long form, so feel free to rant as long as you want. 
Cool. Well, then um, here, here goes. Um, I think anybody that steps into a cage and fights another man for a living has got a screw loose in their head. So some, something traumatic, something fucked up happened to you along the way somewhere to make you want to fight. And for me, um, my, that stimulus came from my father. My dad was, uh, my biological father was very critical. He was physically abusive until I was big enough to fight back. Um, but I was never, I got into maybe five street fights. I'm 35 years old. I think I've been in like five street fights my whole life. You know, call, call from kindergarten till now. Um, so outside of the cage, probably five fights. So yeah, I think in order to get into a cage and fight people for a living, I think you have to have a screw loose in some, in some sort of capacity. Um, for me, I, I had, um, I, I think I was just, my dad was mean, so I just had like a chip on my shoulder. I was angry. I was a little, I was shorter than everybody. So that also added to that chip on my shoulder. All <laughs> man's complex. We um, call it no man's disease in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, like a lot of people just, they, they would overlook me because I was small and, you know, I was always, you know, it's not the size of the dog in the, in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. You know, is what people always told me, but it was, I don't know, it was really hard to, like, really make waves in American sports being as small as I was, but then I found the sport of wrestling where you get to go against guys your own size, and mm-hmm. that kind of led me down that path of, like, even with, with boxing or, and with MMA, like, you can fight guys, like, you fight guys your size, so it doesn't matter how big you are, you know, we're all the same. So it was one thing that um, that was like probably what interests me the most into it, it like in it. But I wrestled in high school. Um, so was that like varsity? Is that like varsity wrestling? Sorry, just like in Australia, yeah. we don't really do a lot of. Is that Roman Greco wrestling? It's it would probably be or closest freestyle. to freestyle, closer to freestyle. So you know, in America, we got to do all of our shit like our own way. So we don't do the, you know, we don't use the metric system. So instead of doing the, the same type of wrestling that you guys do all around the world, that people do all around the world, freestyle and Greco, we have our own style called collegiate and <laughs> or style. So <laughs> but it's very similar to freestyle. Cool. So um, anyway, so I did, did, did some of the wrestling and I saw a bunch of little guys fighting on back in the, when the UFC early days, Jens Pulver, Matt Hughes, BJ Penn, a lot of these guys, Dwayne Ludwig, I saw these these guys were like little guys, essentially beating up bigger guys, and they were all like so you know, except with the exception of Dwayne Ludwig, so a lot of them were wrestlers. And uh, my favorite fighter was Jens Pulver. Um, growing up, he was him and him and uh, Matt Hughes because they were both college wrestlers. Both of them wrestled in junior college, then went Division One, where where I went. I went junior college and then wrestled Division One as well. So I kind of like went the same footsteps as them. So I really like looked up to those guys, and uh, so I'm like, oh, I want to. I, I just I said I wanted to fight someday, and I told my mom when I was 17 that I was going to do it, and she actually introduced me to a guy that she had met that trained jujitsu and trained with a bunch of fighters. So my mom introduced me to the guy that helped me get involved into the sport of wrestling, or sorry, get to the sport of MMA and jiu-jitsu. And then probably, that was like August 2002. Um, and in March of 2003, I had my very first MMA fight. I was a senior in high school. And I had about 500 people show up from my high school to this fight. 
Crazy. They all seemed to get my ass kicked by some real cage fighter, but I ended up beating the dude. Now they're looking at the legacy you created because of that. So that chip on your shoulder took your fire in life, didn't it? Oh, man. It (laughs) did. It really did. And it it was so crazy. I wasn't a popular kid in high school. No one really knew much about me. But after that fight, after, like, all those kids showed up and I won, um, it was cool. It was was just, like, it was – Night and day. Yeah, it was addicting. It was it was really addicting. So I, I just I'm like I want to do it again. So then I, I just I my goal shifted. I started off with my my first goal was just to fight in a cage, just to say I did it. Mm. Then after I fought, I'm like, all right, maybe I, maybe I want to see if I can fight as a pro. So then I fought as a pro. Then after after I fought as a pro, my next goal was like, you know what? I want to see if I can make it to the UFC. And um, in the off season from college or like uni. I would, I would fight. So most people would have jobs. Like after wrestling season or after school, they'd work. What, what, what college did you go to? Did you go to like a, to Phoenix? Is there like a state university or something like that that you attended? Yeah. So I went to a junior college in, in Arizona. Then I went to a big – I went to a university in Pennsylvania actually. Okay, cool. About 2,000 miles away. In Pittsburgh or whereabouts in Pennsylvania? So if this is the state of Pennsylvania, like yeah. right in the middle. So Pittsburgh's on the far – sorry. Yeah, Pittsburgh's on the far west side. Yep. Philly's on the far east side. I was, like, right in the middle. Cool. And what was that like going away from home and moving to somewhere new um, to, to wrestle? Was that the main reason you got a scholarship and you fuck, packed up your bags and fucked off to the east coast? Yeah, because I, I was a 20-year-old kid and I thought I wanted to go far as fuck away from home and go experience shit. But one thing I didn't realize is here in Arizona – the sun shines about 360 days a year, and the women are gorgeous. Yeah, they are hot. It's not like that everywhere else. <laughs> what I got out- come from Arizona. <laughs> oh. So I moved out to Pennsylvania, and it was cloudy, gloomy, rainy every day. A lot of the women were not attractive. No, East Coast um, women are very hot. Not, oh, actually, maybe in Florida, but not so much in Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh's the second fattest city in the in America, actually. And, you know, being two hours outside of that wasn't, there wasn't much of a difference in, in the town I was in. <laughs> like there was a, I mean, there are girls that are borderline water buffaloes and they, they swear that they're like a, a hard nine. <laughs> it it's like growing up in ski towns, man. I've grown up in ski towns all around the world. And like in ski towns, they say you don't lose a girlfriend, you just lose a turn. Because it... <laughs> There's not a lot of hot women in ski towns, so yep. I feel the pain. I know it. And you like you got this uh, this whole uh, like dream in your head. Oh, I'm going to go to college. It's going to be like girls going wild, and then you get to yep. fucking Pennsylvania and <laughs> water buffalo season. <laughs> yep. Oh my god, it was so bad. So um, it was, but the the university I went to, they had a boxing team and a wrestling team, so I was able to do both. Um, I ended up being an All-American for wrestling. I won a national title in boxing. Wow. And well, you won a national off. title. And had you grown up, like, do they have, like, Golden Glove and stuff like that, like the kind of feeder programs in, in Phoenix as well? Did you grow up doing that as well? I, I boxed for about probably a month when I was 11 years old. Um, I was the only white kid in an all-Mexican gym. I didn't speak Spanish. So, like, they had my workout written up on the board. I did that for a month, and my parents stopped taking me because – no one was really working with me, but I started boxing um, at 17 
And I just, I, I picked it up pretty quickly and um, I was, I got pretty obsessed about it because the whole thing was like wrestlers didn't know how to strike. So like the big thing was, you know, if he can't take you down, what does he have? And I want, and back when I first started, you were either a, you were either a grappler or you were a striker. I was kind of that first wave of people that could do it all. Um, I, I was a world champion in jujitsu. I was a national champion in boxing, oh. all American in wrestling. Who did you, who did you train one of, for jujitsu? Did you was it Gracie and all that kind of stuff, or Gustavo Dantes? So oh. you know who uh, you know who Jose Aldo is, right? Yes, sir. I definitely do. So that that same lineage, that same school, Novo Nyao, based out of uh, Rio in Brazil. Mm. That's where my trainer, that's where my jujitsu coach came from. He came from Andre Pedineris, who was Jose Aldo's coach, Henan Barrao's coach. Andre was my jujitsu coach's coach, uh, Gustavo Dantes. And Gustavo gave me my brown belt. Uh, so I trained under him for jujitsu. And then I had Trevor and Todd Lally as my MMA slash striking coaches. And they trained under Matt Hume and Maurice Smith which you may remember Maurice Smith, UFC yeah. heavyweight world champion. So you definitely had a natural talent. You definitely had a natural talent for, for combat sports. It, it came to you pretty quickly as opposed to a lot of people that would, you know, you, you've obviously done pretty well in multiple disciplines, which is probably pretty rare. You know, there's a lot of kids that are coming up in the world that think they're going to do what they're going to do, but you've obviously picked it up um, pretty naturally. Did you find it, um, you know, at that point in, in time, there wasn't a lot of, um, a lot of people that were cross kind of cross-pollinating, did you get much um, flack from your trainers? Did you ditch your trainers saying, like, why are you doing doing boxing or et cetera? Like boxing trainers saying, why are you doing jiu-jitsu kind of thing? It was, um, it was actually more so, yeah, it was more so the striking coaches like, God, you're, you know, why are you doing all that jiu-jitsu stuff? Just learn to get back up and keep the fight on your feet. <laughs> so they, they would give me some shit, but I just had goals. I, my goals were, I wanted it, like I had goals in jiu-jitsu. I had goals in, wrestling i had goals in mma so i had just different goals like my goal in jiu-jitsu was i wanted to win a world title i wanted to become a black belt um my goals in mma i wanted to be a world champion wanted to fight in the ufc someday like those were those were my goals my goal in wrestling was to be an all-american or a state champion i wasn't a state champion so ended up having to settle for being an all-american but um Pretty no like cool, i never man. it was never like it wasn't super like that where they kind of went against each other. It was pretty cohesive because the, my, my jujitsu, my, my striking coaches, if I went out there and choked the dude out in a fight, they loved it. You know, they, <laughs> yeah, they loved yeah, it. Yeah. They just don't, they just didn't want me to like pull guard or something. I think that was like their worry of like guys like us getting comfortable on our backs. So that was like their main concern with just focusing on the striking. But I always did. I did grappling I did wrestling two days a week. I did jujitsu three days a week. Um, and I did striking uh, five days a week. I, I, every day I was sparring three days a week and I was doing just boxing pad work one day a week. And I was doing kickboxing pad work one day a week. So it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of uh, it was a lot of work, but it, I was it, not to sound arrogant, but like when it came to like the, these combat sports and these, in this, like I could see people do shit whether it's a wrestling move or jiu-jitsu, I could see them do it and I could, I could do it. I picked it up really quickly. And like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say like I was a super talented athlete, but I just, well, you obviously are, a, you obviously are a pretty fucking super talented athlete, mate. You fucking want to, you want a jiu-jitsu world title. You, you, you're an all American wrestler and you're, 
you did pretty good at boxing, you know. So it's okay to toot your own horn when you're at the level that you got to. I'm sure there's a lot of people that aspired to do what you wanted to do and didn't get to do it. So, you know, kudos to you on all that. On that, and what was it like? Um, what was it like at the beginning of that kind of like watching um, UFC when it was on Spike TV and and then eventually on Fuel? Was that you kind of the era that you kind of began watching it? Yeah. So to give you an example, I would. I remember being like. I remember being in Pennsylvania my junior year and watching the Forrest Griffin Stephen Bonner fight, um, the, the the finale of Tough One of the Ultimate Fighter of the first season. Um, so that was that was the era I was coming up in because when I saw that fight, I want to say within six months after I saw that fight, I was in the UFC and I fought in UFC sixty two where it where Chuck Liddell fought Babalu Sobral wow, for the second. That's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool to be part of history like that, you know. You guys created a new sport. It's pretty. It's pretty insane. What the? If you look at the level and the money and the the hysteria that's associated with it now, you know, because of guys like you and Chuck, and you know, obviously before you, um, you know, the Gracie brothers and a, a whole bunch of other homies that that haven't, you know, that we, I, you know, I'm not really that much of an MMA fan, or I, obviously I watch it, but I'm I'm not like the the super expert on it. But I do remember yeah. seeing all that stuff when I was really young on Spike TV when I would go to America because in Australia we didn't have, we didn't really have a lot of it until kind of, I used to see it occasionally on fuel and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's pretty cool to see a sport grow like that from nothing, you know, so obviously back in the seventies, um, you know, Bruce Lee, obviously everyone aspires, every martial artist aspires to be like him. He kind of started it with Jeet Kune Do and then, you know, it progressed 25 years, 30 years later. And then the, you know, it's funny how the world works like that. Everybody says, everybody said Galileo was crazy when he said the world wasn't flat. And then everybody probably said that Bruce Lee was crazy when he said, you know, learn to appropriate everything and use what's, you know, what's best for the circumstance. Oh, yeah. It's, it's crazy because not only with Bruce Lee, but even with like to take it one step further with the Gracies, they were able to show that the little guy with enough skill and enough technique can take out the big guy. I think that was like the major shift, at least for me, was being it was seeing that these you didn't have to be this big giant buff monster to kick some ass or to win a fight. You could see these you know somewhat malnourished looking Brazilian dudes wearing pajamas and they're fucking everybody up. They're, I mean, they're <laughs> strangling people to death. So seeing seeing that really was like kind of inspirational. I think that was like transformative just for the whole industry, like just for the whole fight fight game. Seeing that little guy having Hoist Gracie beat the fucking big guy, that just that just changed the game. It, it just changed everything. Like it people once people realize like, oh shit, Mike Tyson, these boxers, yeah, they're tough. You don't want to get punched them, but you definitely don't want to fuck with an MMA guy because they'll kill you. You know, they, they, I mean, you only got one set of tools when you're a boxer, but here at MMA, like we got all sorts of different tools that we can use to, to kick your ass or to, you know, to win a fight. Do you think someone like Mike Tyson in his prime could have, could have gotten into this kind of stuff? Do you think that he yeah. could have learned? No, different, different, totally different tools, tool of skills, hey? Yeah, man. I mean, if, if anybody was stupid enough to stand up with him, like you remember Randy Couture when he fought James Tony? Yes. He stood up with James Tony for 13 seconds. However long it took for him to walk across that ring and fucking get close enough to shoot a takedown on him, 
that's how long he stood up with him. And that's what anybody would have done to, that's what anybody would have done to Bruce Lee, to, to, uh, to Mike Tyson, to Evander Holyfield, any of those guys. They would just get taken down. So, so um, around what, what year did you start, did you actually originally get into the UFC? 2006. And so around that time, um, UFC started to progress. Uh, I think it started, it was on Spike TV then or was it on um, Fuel? Spike, Spike TV. Spike. And did you feel like a, a remnant that this sport could take you somewhere and, you know, this could create, make you, um, you know, uh, this could be a career that you could follow? So for me, um, I made, when I, when I first signed with the UFC, I fought a guy ranked fifth in the world and I made $3,000 a show and $3,000 to win. So I know I never thought I was going to be rich. I never yeah. thought I was going to make a ton of. I never thought I was going to make a ton gone, of money, man. and this was going to be my last career. Like I didn't think that I was going to fight and uh, you know keep fighting and then make all this money. I'll just be able to retire and live like a a playboy lifestyle. Um, I always knew that I was going to do something afterwards. I've always been really inclined to coaching. I really like it. Um, I've always. I, I coached my little brother in wrestling. I started coaching kids swimming at the age of 16. So I've always been a coach at heart. So I thought that when I retired from fighting, I would probably own a gym and just be a coach. Yeah. And um, so that was always my game plan. I never thought that I was going to be a millionaire fighter. Um, yeah, yeah, I never thought I was going to go. I was going to take it that far. But when I did win that world title in 2008, I thought that I would I would make a lot more money over you know I thought I was going to make a lot more money after that happened and over the the, the, the life of my career but nah man I was I was about six years too soon too early uh, yeah I was still, too you guys still built it. you, it's pretty incredible to be a part of the legacy of building something at the same time as you know being a champion in today's modern era and being a conor mcgregor or a khabib or a or a, a snoozeman um the foot yeah. stomper man um yeah he's fucking pretty good though i'll give him that he's he's a big boy that guy he's a pretty big boy what did you think of the fight the other night between him and um, masvidal do you think that masvidal has any kind of chance to be able to beat a guy that big it's on he took the fight on six days notice <laughs> or whatever He's a gnarly I mean, dude. You can, you can, with the way fighting is now, it's not like, it's not like it was 10 years ago where it's just like, you just go out there and just fucking fight a guy. There's like, these guys are so goddamn good now. You have a strategy. You have to have a game plan. You need to have things that you drill. You just have to. Like, you didn't, I, I mean, maybe you did in your in your professional career. I mean, did you just like, all right, I'm going to go do my run and I'm just going to fucking wing it. Or did you, ha- did you have like, you know, tricks and shit already premeditated that you knew that you were going to do? Yeah, yeah, you did pretty tricks and stuff like that. Um, but yeah. it, <clears throat> so tell me, you, you won your, your first world title in 2008. Um, what was part of the build-up to get to that? How many people did you have to fight? Because you, you obviously, you, you progressed pretty quickly into, into fighting the, fit, the guy who's fifth in the world straight off the bat in your yeah. first UFC fight. That's that's pretty gnarly. It was was there like a feeder league back in the day that you had to go through in order to be able to to get into that position, or was it because yeah. you had the right coaches and the um the former titles in other in other you know you had, you'd reached the benchmark in jujitsu and and you know and wrestling and stuff like that, and then so they saw an op- you, you they saw you as a 
as a potential, um, you know, uh, potential suitor for that for that league, and and then they, you know, kind of contacted you, or did you? What was part of the process of getting into the UFC or back in the day like that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I started off locally. I thought um, the, the promotion was called Rage in the Cage. It was mostly just in Arizona. Um, so I started off fighting amateur locally. I had three amateur fights. And back then in 2003, the only difference between fighting as an amateur and fighting as a pro was the pros got paid. The rules weren't any different. So um, so I'm like, fuck, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a pro fight. And I made $100 my very first pro fight. So I started off locally, and then it, then it expanded to regionally. And how, it, how I was able to get that was um, I was – I don't know if you remember a guy by the name of Drew Fickett, but he was in the UFC um, probably 2005. So before, before I had gotten into the UFC, he was there like 2004, 2005. But he was like a local stud. Like he was very well known. He was a high school state champ wrestler. And he, he walked onto the ASU wrestling team. He was just a tough dude and a hard worker. And so I linked up with him when I was in junior college and he was fighting on the national level, um, like all like going to shows in Boston and Florida. So I actually kind of teamed up with him and I was like his, like, I don't know, like they called me like Drew Jr. So I would go to fights and then he would be able to like, you know, talk, talk to, to the promoter to get me on some of those cards. So I got, some pretty decent high profile fights. I got two in uh, two in Canada. One of those guys ended up fighting in the UFC. Um, I got one in Louisiana. That guy ended up fighting in the UFC, and I, I I TKO'd both those guys in the first round. So I was able to like I, I attached myself to a guy that was up and coming, and he kind of paved the way for me. And I was able to like so when they couldn't afford Drew. They were like, "All right, well, we'll take you know Drew. Jr. We'll, take, we'll take his butt." You obviously had a lot of talent for for Drew to see the see your potential. You know, someone like that doesn't just put his name to someone that he doesn't think is going to be able to cut the mustard. You know, so well, obviously you you training partner. Yeah. Oh, you guys train. You guys sparred together a lot. Yeah, he needed me. Like he lived in Tucson, Arizona. He moved from Tempe, where Arizona Combat Sports, where he was training. Um, he had some personal issues and he had to move to Tucson and um, that's where I linked up with him because I was in, I was in college wrestling. But when I, I think I was telling you earlier, when, when season ended for wrestling, I started fighting and that's how I made my money. That's how I supported myself through, through college was, was fighting in the off season. I make a thousand dollars a fight. I fight four or five times in the summer, make four or five grand tax free. And then I would just live off that for the year until season, until wrestling season ended and do it all over again. So he kind of like paved the way, but he um, he needed me because he didn't have anybody to work out with, and I was a college wrestler, I was a hard worker, and I knew how to I knew how to punch some face a little bit. So it it was a it was a reciprocal relationship, but he just kicked the shit out of me, but it made me better. But I was a good I was a good body for him because I never gave up. So like I could at least get him tired, you know. So we 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 fed off each other a lot, and he he changed my life. He. I wouldn't have gotten into the UFC. I wouldn't wouldn't be here talking to you if it wasn't for him, for sure. And how did you guys meet originally? Just through the traps of like um, you know mutual training, um, you know training camps, and you know going to going to going to the dojo and stuff like that. Well, he was he was like a headliner on 
on those Rage in the Cage fight cards I was telling you about. He was like yeah. the main event on a lot of those. So it's I went and watched one of those fights before I decided to do it. I just went as a fan in the crowd. And so he was like one of the – he was like the co-main that night. And I just saw him fight. He was a wrestler. Um, he wrestled at a, at a high school in Arizona. Um, and it was kind of funny. My, my junior college coach was his high school wrestling coach. So he came into my, co- my junior college wrestling room to work out with some of us. So I, I saw him fighting like as a fan. We fought on the same card one time. So I, I kind of befriended him a little bit there. But then when he came into the wrestling room to work out and he knew my wrestling coach, that's where me and him became friends because yeah. he's like, oh, shit, I recognize you. You're that kid that fights. Yeah. And he's like, oh, and you're a wrestler too. You're, you wrestle here. So that's how we connected. Yeah. And I looked up to him. I, I, I mean, I took on his mannerisms, his body language. I tried. <laughs> I idolized that guy. I tried doing everything he did because I wanted to get into the UFC just like him. That's pretty cool. That's a really interesting story. And do you, do you think that back in the day that like when you started that that the kind of that camaraderie was a little bit tighter? Was it little? Was it a, because there wasn't so much of hype and fanfare around this sport? You know, it's a, it's a it's an emerging um, beast that no one really knows what it is. And and also, in a way, in my opinion, um, when there's not that much money involved, it's it kind of keeps the pure the purists in in it. You know, it's not just about I'm sure. Now, or maybe I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not so much so much a martial artist, so it's it's hard for me to kind of comprehend it. But do you think that that camaraderie was a lot deeper back then, or do you think it's still pretty similar? Like when you know you're all in the trenches together. You know, you're not making a lot of money. You're doing it because it's like big wave surfing. There's a lot of people in the world that don't get paid a lot of money, but they work their ass. They work three jobs all summer to save money to go chase swells and go surf big waves. You know, there's like yeah. a camaraderie in that in that brotherhood of chasing something and you're all interconnected by it. And when there's not a lot of money involved, it seems to be, you know, that pure, that pure kind of dragon slayer kind of connection to each other. Yeah. And I would say it's, it's, all, it's, it's the latter of everything that you just said. I would say that back then it could have been my mindset. I was a little bit more mature. I mean, a little bit more immature. I was a little bit more naive back then. So for me, it was, it was just like a wrestling match where I got to punch people and it was a way for me to get out of the wrestling room, but still like get out of the wrestling room, but still do something that's active, but isn't completely off base from wrestling. So it was like cross training for wrestling. So they kind of fed off each other. Um, back then, it really wasn't about the money. It wasn't about like fame or anything like that. For me, I just liked winning. I was addicted to winning. I liked getting my hand raised. I liked proving doubters wrong. So it really wasn't about the money. And the camaraderie was, I would say the camaraderie was, the camaraderie is always there in a, in a room, in a, in a fight room when you're training. Um, you, you're only as good as your training partner. So the camaraderie is very, very important. And I don't think that's been diminished at all. But I do think that, you know, you call it the purity of the sport. I do think that has diminished because of the money. Um, I think that people are getting into this sport for fame mm. more so than, and recognition more so than, like they just are super competitive and they got this burning desire to compete and they just want to win at all costs. I think it's more so people are like, 
oh, they see Conor McGregor, they see him driving a fucking Lambo. Oh, I want to go fight so I can get a Lambo. Like, yeah. that's, it's a little bit different. And good luck now. with that because the amount of training and effort and fucking tenacity it takes to get punched in the head every day, like, that Lambo ain't worth it. There's, an e- there's easier ways to get a Lambo than, than to be to the be that to get to that level of a sport you know like you you have to love it if you don't love it then you're fucked because it's it's just takes too much training and too much time and injuries and fucking watching you know you get you get you get you're professionally getting kicked in the head you know like that takes a certain type of person to get back up and you know like you uh, you guys um have in my opinion again a similar um tenacity to skateboarders where you just keep trying and trying especially jujitsu like you guys, I, from what I gather, you, you know, you roll on the floor and sometimes people will, they'll, they'll fucking choke you out and people that are probably not as good as you are. And that, that would be pretty frustrating for me personally. So, you know, that, that, kind of, that kind of tenacity, you know, that's, that's a rare thing in my, you know, from my perspective as an outsider. It takes a lot of humility, dude, to be honest. It takes a really... It, to, to get to the level of the UFC... You have to be humble. I know that Connor and some of these guys, they don't seem that way, but it takes a lot of humility because they had to go in there and get their ass kicked by fucking dudes that look like Harry Potter. Yeah. That's yeah. that's how we all start. Yeah. I was getting my fucking I was getting tied in knots by dudes that look like accountants that I would have fucking I, I thought I would have killed if I saw them on the street, I totally would have thought I could have kicked their ass. And they <laughs> that's a really cool story. That's really interesting. You don't you don't hear about these kind of things from from top level athletes, you know? Like that's that's really kind of interesting and that's also really relatable for people because you know, day to day it's it's life ain't easy. It's not it's oh. not especially and all this all this pandemic bullshit and all this lockdown and it's just, you know, all this chaos in America and even in Australia, um yeah. you know, it's life isn't easy. And so if you you really need that love and that and if, if it is about that purity, because then you get something out of it that money can't buy. So tell yeah. me, you, you um, so 2006, you're um, you're on your way to taking a uh, to taking a shot at the uh, the lightweight title. What was how many people did you have to burn through before you got a shot at the title? And did you did you lose any fights on that on that way to on the way to winning? Yeah, um, and I think I, I I think I missed the part of the, you asked the question kind of similar earlier. Um, I was 11 and one going into the UFC, my very first fight. Uh, my very first UFC fight, I was 11 and one. Yep. And I lost my first UFC fight. I got arm barred with like a minute and a half left of the third round in a fight that I was winning. Um, just, I, I gassed myself out. I took the guy down like 20 times <laughs> in 12 and a half minutes. Um, trying to think. So after that, um, I fought UFC 62. I lost to Hermes Franca. UFC 68, I fought this guy, Jason Gilliam. I think I choked him unconscious in like a minute, minute and a half. And then right after that is when the UFC acquired Pride, WFA, and they bought like another organization. Was that a big changing point? Was that a big changing point when the pool got deeper? You know, that kind of made it more international, didn't it? It did, and they, they, they did away with all those other organizations. They just bought those organizations for the contracts, but they kept the WEC, and they what they wanted to do is they wanted to center the WEC around lightweights. So before, the lightest weight the UFC had was 155, and then they did away with the 155-pound division for a really long time, and 170 was the lowest. 
So the WEC was like a way to kind of have the lightweights going at it. So mm. they had 155, 135, 145. What do you um, weigh naturally? What do you weigh naturally? Like uh, back then, I was walking around like 180, 185. Yeah. How tall are you? Like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, or something like that? 5'8". Five, 5'8". Eight. Five, eight. Um, I was probably 7 to 7, 8% body fat walking around at 180 pounds. Yeah. Um, I mean, even when even when I wasn't training for a fight, I was still working out probably four hours a day. Fucking no, you're a fucking professional athlete. You know, you're training constantly. You're you, yeah. you're at the highest level. You you know, you could fight tomorrow if you had to, but it's just taking it from that ninety five percent to that hundred and ten percent for the for the when you fight in a super a super saiyan. You, you got to yeah. keep that that extra gear into into. And, and so, did you ever think of like going up in a weight class, or was that just one fifty five was what you felt naturally at fight weight? No, I started out. I started off at 170. Um, I went down to 155 because I wrestled 165s in college. And again, I was walking around 180 pounds at seven eight percent body fat. So mm-hmm. I, I wrestled 165 in college, but college was the same day weigh-ins. And because there was day before weigh-ins, my trainers convinced me like, if you want to be in the UFC, you can go into the UFC as a lightweight, but you're not big enough for 170 pounds. And they were right. I I, I wasn't big enough. So I dropped, I dropped the weight. I went down to 155. And uh, my very first fight at 155 was in the UFC. I was fighting at 170. Was that, that hard to cut weight when you first originally did you how, – how did you do it? Did you do, you know, saunas or steam rooms or just, just not eat for a couple of well, – what, what was – obviously, you, did, you probably didn't have any nutritionists or – The latter. I did all yeah. – I, I, mean, I did it completely wrong until I got a nutritionist. Yeah. I got a nutritionist in 2000. 2008, I got a nutritionist, and mm. for my title fight, I was able to like diet down. I diet down correctly. Um, I learned a lot about nutrition once I got that nutritionist. And I had from 2008 until 2014 when I ended my career. I always had, I always had a nutritionist do my weight cuts and my meal plans and all that stuff. Um, but in the beginning, it was just don't eat, go run, sit in the sauna. I mean, yeah, I, yeah it was terrible. It was really terrible. I, um- my next door neighbor is um, probably a little bit taller than you, and he was one of the uh, top jockeys in Australia. And he used to have to cut weight a lot, and he had a normal job as well, even though he, he was making a lot of money from being a jockey. And he used to drive around in like the summer here, and it's like probably over hundred degrees, and he'd have the heater on full, and he'd have a jumper on, and that's how that was part of his weight cutting, <laughs> like the crazy shit that he that he would do in order to cut weight. So. I was just curious about that. So, so yeah. you, um, <clears throat> so you started fighting your way up the ranks, and then what was it like? Um, what what was what was it like to get a shot at the at the title, and then and then win? Was it was it pretty scary, or was it something it's that you'd been cool. building up to over a period of time? And you know, was it just did it just come naturally? It was it was a completely surreal time. Like I I was really confident in myself. I knew that I was a I was. I knew I was a good fighter, um, but I didn't know how good I was. I knew I was tough, um, but I had a lot of guys in the gym that were kicking my ass. Guys, there were one seventy pounders, one eighty five pounders. I went with the, I went with only like so. I always tried to like, I would work with just the boxers, like the guys that all they did was box. I would try to be as good as them at, at their sport, and then I would go with the jujitsu guys, and I tried to be as good as them at their sport. And then the MMA, my MMA guys. I didn't have, I was the smallest guy. There weren't, there weren't any guys my size. It was all 170, 185 pounders. Mm-hmm. So I was getting 
throttled by the by the by the fighters, by the bigger guys. And it just I think that going having having had like those those bigger guys like going going against them on a regular basis that when I finally got in there and I and I fought um, fought guys my size it it really wasn't as it wasn't as hard but I was super I, I was really insecure about my abilities because I was constantly getting fucking crushed by these guys yeah yeah, yeah. Right? I did really a double edged sword of, isn't it it's a double edged right, sword yeah that's interesting it's like sports psychology like because you you're training yourself and you. You're trying to push yourself to that next level because you're trying to fight you, kind of the equivalent of your big brothers when you're a little kid. But then it puts a chip on your shoulder because you're 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 kind of training yourself to lose all the time. Which all is the time. Interesting. That's really that's a really interesting thing that I really hadn't thought about. That's really really interesting. So you I so you I so, I so you ended up so 2008 was it um, UFC 69? Did you say or what? 68. 68. One off. Close, but no cigar. Um, but uh, so you, um, that would have been pretty awesome to win uh, to win your first title at UFC 69. Sorry. Oh, 69. Would have been fun. A little bit of some butthead uh, potty humor for, for all the people out there. Um, so who was it that you fought? And was it, was it like, uh, was there any animosity going into the match? Had you had any like interactions with this, um, with him before? Uh, so my, my fight was, it was the, it was for the WEC. So it was when the, the UFC, they took me and they, they took me and they put me in the WEC because they made the WEC all about lightweights mm. and they gave me a pay bump. They gave me a signing bonus and they guaranteed me that all my fights would be on TV. If I went, if I went into, if I went to the WEC and so did that. I had one fight in the WEC before I got the title shot, and the title shot was against Razor Rob McCullough. Um, there wasn't a ton of animosity. Um, he was he was with Team Punishment back in the day, where Tito Ortiz, Tiki Gonson, um, a bunch of like a, a bunch of the really well known UFC guys from Southern California. That's where he came, he came from that gym. So um, it was definitely a little intimidating. Um, his, I, re- I remember watching like YouTube videos of him training in Big Bear and his girlfriend, who was a porn star, talking shit about me. And all <laughs> sorts of shit. But I, I just trained, and I was scared. I was nervous. I was excited. I had all these different feelings going into the fight and leading up to it. But ultimately, like I was, I would say I was mostly scared. But then the rest was. A, was excitement. And then but no animosity. It was just, I had to fight the guy. He had what I wanted. He was the champ. And he I wanted to, I wanted to what win. What did something. that feel like? You know, you'd had some, you'd had some pretty, some, some pretty big titles beforehand. What was the, what was it like to raise that strap above your head? Like with a huge crowd of people. And like, you've got this huge goal in your brain. You're like, You've been training. You're just a little kid, and you're looking up, and you're like, "Fuck, I want to do that when I'm when I'm older." And then to go through the ranks and and you know claw your way up in different disciplines, and just, you know building the the training chops to be able to actually be able to stand in the UFC ring in the cage, just to yeah. be able to potentially even get a fucking a smell of that what that would feel like. What was that? What was it like overcoming like getting to the top of that mountain? Was it pretty fucking? Was it pretty fulfilling? It was the best feeling in the world, man. It was the Fuck first man. time. 
that I finally felt like I had done it. I was good enough. I, I won the big one. I won the big match. So I, I took second in state in high school wrestling. Yeah. I took second at nationals in college wrestling. <laughs> just, um, just the tip. Then, just like fucking was, hot chick. You stick the tip in and you're like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I was always the bridesmaid and never the bride. So, um, fucking amazing. It was, um, for me, it was a really, it was a big turning point for my confidence. Um, but it was, it was the best moment of my life, dude. Um, I would say a close second to that is when I, when I fought Edson Barbosa and well, I beat Barbosa's him. Barbosa's an I, animal, you know, man. And how did you go against him? You, did you beat him? I, I fucked him up. Yeah, I, yeah, I was the first one to, to knock his ass out. That's fine. That's what I thought. I thought I, I I I actually watched the fight this morning, and I was um, anyways, um, that's fucking gnarly. And what was he? What was fighting him like? Was he? He had a lot of hype around him before you fought him. What didn't he? I was scared shitless, dude. I didn't want. <laughs> I didn't want. I didn't want. Like, so he had just spinning heel kicked fucking Terry Adams' head off the fight before. <laughs> And Evan Dunham was supposed to fight him, and Evan Dunham got hurt, so I took the fight on two weeks' notice. But luckily, I was already training for another fight, so it actually gave me a couple extra weeks to prepare for for that fight. But I was scared, man. I didn't want to get kicked by that motherfucker. His leg kicks were devastating, right? He he had TKO'd, like, I think two guys up to that point with leg kicks, and then he kicked some dude's head off the, the fight before. So I was, was terrified. That defend, was that to defend your title, was it? Was that defending your title? No, that was, that was, I was like a year after that was like, I took a year off of 2011. I took the, the whole year off from fighting. Just, I was nursing injuries. I was kind of yeah. lost. I just needed a break. And it's hard um, when you fucking, you just keep, you like, you, you fuck yourself up. You know, I've, you know, I've broken my back a couple of times, blowing my knees out, you know, jumping off big cliffs and all doing all that dumb shit and you fuck yourself up and then. You get better and there's always a nagging injury and it's almost like you have to take that year off to be able to just let your body rebuild itself. And when I did that, dude, I, I took a year off. I had a great 2012, 2013, and then I got the injury bug again and that's where my career just kind of – I couldn't stay healthy, dude. And I, 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 I just think that I trained too hard for too long. I was doing three-a-days, two and three-a-days every day. And oh, yeah. I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't hold up anymore. My body just said, fuck you. You're done. <laughs> Fucking yeah. The body catches up eventually, doesn't it? Yeah. Unless you're just like a super motherfucker. Some, some people have just got the super gene where they just can keep like someone like Kelly Slater. Kelly Slater's got, from what I gather, he's got hyperelasticinitis or something. I don't know how to say it, where he's like double jointed in every part of his body. And, he, and so he's basically like as flexible as like a yogi master. Plus yeah. he does yoga. And so that's why he's, um, how old is he now? I think he's 43 or 44. Maybe he's older. Maybe he's 46. And he's still top five in the world on the surf tour because he's that flexible, you know? And it's, but again, it's not, surfing's not as high impact as what you do. Dude, I'm <clears> not trying to probably do that shit. We all have, like every sport has their fucked up part. There's always that element of like, okay, I can get fucked up here. Totally, See, but you guys take it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, you know, you hit rock. Rock doesn't rock doesn't hit back, but it definitely hits. <laughs> I've seen my friends die in front of me. You know, like I've I've literally seen people like you know hit rock off a 40, 50 foot cliff, and and they've 
tumble to the bottom of the hill and they're dead, you know, a few times. So, but that's, that goes with doing extreme sports, you know, big wave surfing, big mountain skiing, et cetera. So um, tell me in, um, in 08, you um, defended your title to Marcus Hicks. Was that the first time that you defended? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, I had like, I had all these undefeated guys, like just like in a row, it was, it was Marcus Hicks. Um, He was an undefeated black belt choking everybody out. He was, Probably five four, five five, just a muscle head. Gnarly little mother, little Jack Russell. <laughs> yeah, Talking about was, dogs, dude. I hit him with just these hard right hands, just right on the chin, and I need him in the face, and that guy just would not go down. I, I couldn't believe it because I was just full on winding up, kapowing, kapowing, <laughs> and he's Some still standing on the head, dude. <laughs> Isn't it funny how? Do you think as a, you know you've, you've you smacked a lot of people in the head? Not necessarily on the street, but in the cage. What do you think it is about certain people that they just they just have a hard head? You know, like what? It's either they have a hard head. I'm not hitting them in the right spot, or I mean, he was just so strong. And I think a lot of, at least from what I'm told, boxers and stuff they do a lot of like neck strengthening exercise. So I think maybe his neck was just so goddamn strong that he was able to kind of take the punishment as long as he did. But he also could have just been like, you know. The lights are on, but no one's home. Like he could have just been surviving. Yeah. I didn't know because I'm in the heat of battle. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to make this motherfucker hit the, the ground. You know, <laughs> I'm not trying to psychoanalyze. Like, yeah, it's like the. I don't know if you ever seen the movie The Rock and Roller. He gets chased by the Russian gangster, and the guy just he like fucks him up, hits him over the head with a bat, and like does all this crazy shit. And then the the guy just like keeps coming and coming and coming. And then there's this funny line about how Russians just never give up. Not that the, not that the, the guy you're talking about is Russian, but there's just certain people. They're just it's like Khabib. He's just from a hard place, you know. Like that guy. That guy is pressure is um, diamonds are formed under pressure, and that guy is that guy was formed under a lot of pressure. I think. Yeah, he's 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 extremely tough. Those those Russians are very very tough. Um, I would be nervous to fight anybody, any of them, just because of how hard their lives are. So, what do you think about Samboa and that kind of that kind of style of um, of wrestling? It's very effective. Um, even I don't know if you remember Carl Parisian, but he was a judo that. guy, and he was fucking people up with judo. I think like I think all that stuff is. Good. I mean, it's all got a benefit, right? Like you know, there for a while, people were talking about karate it was fucking bullshit and taekwondo was bullshit. Then Lyoto Mashida and George St. Pierre come around, and they're One's a karate guy and one's a taekwondo guy, and they world champions. Like, get up, man. So it's probably more up to the individual about who, how good they are at applying. Yeah, and here, yeah, because you're all you're all at a fucking high level, you know. Like, you you, even to get a to get in that ring, you got to be a master of what you do. Like, there's no there's no fucking around in 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 MMA, especially you know. You think about all the all the feeder leagues and all the, all the dojos and gyms around the world. And everybody wants to be these, you know, these people of notoriety, like it's a humbling experience going through what you've gone through in your life, you know? So tell me, um, you fought, um, cowboy Donald Cerrone in, um, 2009, I think it was originally. And, um, and you, you won. Um, what was that fight like? How, what's He seems like a pretty cool dude. Is he, is he cool cat? 
Yeah, yeah, we were. Um, so we were we were really friendly before that fight. Um, he didn't like me after the fight because I won and he yeah, lost. Yeah. But um, we ended up fighting. So I, I ended up beating him by decision. I, I crushed him though. Like there wasn't there wasn't a round that he even got close to winning. <laughs> but uh, I crushed <laughs> I him. I was mad. <laughs> like yeah, and then we fought again. But he was tough, dude. He's the toughest guy I've ever fought. He seems like a tough far. dude, and he's a fucking. He's a um. He's really into other like action sports. He mountain bikes, and he's he can fucking wakeboard too. He's doing you know backflips and clearing the wake, and that guy's got some skills. You know, he's a, he's definitely like a a, a a nimble. He's got fucking a lot of agility, and he just seems like he's a he's a tough motherfucking redneck. That guy, he's, you know, he's very very tough. He's the toughest guy I've ever fought. So I, we're, him and I are one and one. So I beat him by decision. I lost to him by decision. Um, the fight that I lost was much closer than the fight that I'd won. Like yeah. I fucking blew him out when I won him. And, and the fight that I lost, it was, it was pretty close. I, I hit him with harder shots than he hit me with, but it is what it is. Um, he didn't like me for a really long time after, but um, I would say probably about 2016, 2017. Him and I, I, I think him and I are made made some peace. Like I've sent him a couple messages here and here and there on Instagram. He's one of my favorite fighters. Um, you know, seeing him OG, do well, man. just fucking how do you, how he kind of reminds me of there's a, there used to be a pro surfer who was named Taylor Knox, and he was on the world tour till he was like, I think before Kelly Slater, I think he was like forty three. Um, but he was just like he's just a workhorse. Like he wasn't the best fighter, not he wasn't the best surfer, but he was like he was really good surfer, and he just never. He's always in the mix, you know? Like, that dude seems like he's just... I don't know if he's doing it because he needs to pay his bills or whatever, but, like, he's, the dude's tenacity is pretty gnarly. I think he loves it, dude. I Honestly, yeah. I think he loves it. I think he fights because he loves it. He's very lucky or fortunate that he's not hes not injured, or at least, not, I don't, at least I, that I know of. He doesn't get injured. He's not injury-prone. But when I fought him the first time, I broke my right index metacarpal. I had a compound fracture in my right hand. I broke my left foot and I got a lesion in my retina and my right eye. Like it was a, and he's I was, a tough, he's a tough motherfucker, isn't he? Yeah. My pee was black for like a day and a half. Golly, dude. That's hectic. like, it was black. My pee was black. It's it was never disgusting. happened before. Has it? No, it was the most grueling <laughs> fight I've ever had. He's, He's a tough son of a bitch. He's just, he's tough. Like I said, he's my favorite fighter right now. Him and Carlos Condit are like 1A and 1B. So tell me, how do you, like, when you're like, when you're like mates or homies with someone like that, obviously, you know, you're not as tight as you were at one point. How do you switch that off? Like, do you feel bad? Like, or, or you've just trained yourself out through that where you just like, it's just the opponent and you just like smack him in the head. Cause like, you know, obviously I'm, you know, if I have a fight, have a fight, and I'm just talking just, you know, stupid recreationally with a, with a friend. Like I physically can't hit someone that I care about, you know, but if I saw, if I got into a fight at a bar or some stupid shit over some chick or some dumb fucking shit um, with someone I didn't know, I had that fury, you know, in me, in me, that alpha male bullshit of like wanting to crack him in the head and that ego boost. Like how do you um, disassociate yourself with that when you get into the cage? I think it's because when when we're training in the gym every single day, mm. I'm training with my best friends. Mm. I'm punching my best friends in the head. Like these yeah. sparring, my sparring partners and these guys that I do jujitsu with and these guys that 
um, I was wrestling with, like we're, we all were, we're sparring partners. So they're they're I'm already used to beating up my friends. I, I'm already used to fighting my friends. So it's really not so much that it's about just, it's, it's taking the ego out of it and just recognizing that it's a competition. We're going to compete against each other. And, you know, I liked him. I thought he was a good guy. We, we, we sat right next to each other at UFC 92 um, to promote our fights. We were, I was sitting right next to Pink, uh, where I was trying to hit on Pink a little bit. She wasn't <laughs> having it, but I tried. <laughs> hey, man, if you're in the vicinity of greatness, you've got to have a crack. Dude. Like Wayne Gretzky said, you miss every shot you don't take. Yep. He's so, more into, she's, she's more into motocross, guys. You need a few more tattoos, I think. Yeah, I don't have enough. And I was, I was a, I was a baby boy back then. But um, well, hey, man, you yeah, least, I at least you rolled the dice, bro. That's how you win. Yeah, yeah. I shot my shot. It just didn't work. <laughs> 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 I, mean, I don't think you'd be living in Phoenix anymore. You might be living up in the Hollywood Hills. You know, might have a little nose candy problem. No, nah, that's not a good way to live. It'd be fun. It's fun in small doses. That Hollywood life. I think those people they live in an interesting world. Um, and so you, you, you kept going with the UFC until 2014. What was it that kind of, um, you know, motivated you to, did you, did you want to get that title back? And obviously you, you never got it back, did you, after you lost it? Yeah, that, I, that, was, that was the goal going into it. But um, what, what ended up happening is I, in 2014, I broke my tibia and my fibia in my ankle. Um, I broke my my. F- my right met, so my, my big toe on my right foot. Um, I had like a couple concussions that year. Dude, I just, it mostly it was the injuries, but the concussions. I got two concussions back yeah. to back. That's, that's, that ended my career. I was, um, did it, and it's like, it's not worth, it's not worth not being able to fucking, if you ever have kids, um, to not be able to see your grandchildren and like, I don't think Alzheimer's would be, would be real fun, you know. Like you've gone through I the du- yeah. you've gone through the 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 um the gauntlet. You've rolled the dice enough times, and when you see when you start to see black, it's probably a good idea to get get the fuck out while you still got your your wits about you. Dude, I was driving and I couldn't I couldn't remember where I was fucking going. I would be driving my car and have no idea where I was going. I would be talking to people and completely forget the conversation that we were having or the words that were supposed to come out. I was, I was retarded for about six months and it was the most terrifying experience. So like that, I just, I knew I was done. Did the UFC provide any kind of like, um, post-traumatic like training or like, um, you know, specialists that you could talk to or anything like that? Yeah. It's only just becoming a part. I think that's obviously that's been a big problem in boxing and NFL and, you know, rugby more so down here, rugby league and shit like that. Um, yeah, but high impacts in boxing. So, like MMA and boxing, the point is to give your opponent a concussion. Fucking right, it is. Gonna knock, the, knock the other motherfucker out, or knock the yeah. gun out, as we'd say in Australia. You know, you guys don't oh, use yeah. that word. The big thing with what was going on here in in the states with the NFL is they were denying that that football was causing concussions and concussion causing like. And concussions weren't like a big deal. They were lying about it. But with the thing with, with fighting, like that's the whole point. So the yeah, UFC yeah. is not really their place to provide, you know, that type of service for people that like 
that's the whole point. You're, the whole point is you go in there and knock the motherfucker out. Yeah, you, you know, know what you're getting into. I think the NFL, that's more of a probably an American liability thing. Like once they open that door, they're like, if they actually acknowledge it, then every single NFL player for the last 50 years can go, oh, I'm going to put a liability shoot on the NFL and then, you know, then there'll be no NFL anymore. <laughs> so yeah. that's the that's kind of the American way. So so your, la- your last fight was against Drew Dober, is that correct? And- yeah, yeah. He fucking, he's not very good either. He sucked. <laughs> that was a really, that should have been an easy fight. Um, what, what happened? I, I wrong place, wrong time, rolled over wrong. and I, I, I fucking wrestling move, I threw him. Yeah. And um, when I when I threw him, I, the top of my head hit the mat, and um, it's like that that happens a lot in wrestling when you throw somebody, your your head touches the mat. But can't you roll the dice a thousand times and something bad's gonna happen, right? I I got knocked out cold, knocked myself out. So you knocked your, so you own gold yourself and lost the match. <laughs> That's gnarly. Threw him. Landed on my head, knocked myself unconscious. I woke up in a rear naked choke. Like it was, and you could see my legs just go limp. Like it was crazy because I don't remember. I'm like, what the fuck? Like I, I remember like getting my hands on him and I'm like, this guy sucks. He's not good. And tying up with him. And the next thing I know, like the fight's over. I'm like, what the fuck happened? And did that like leave any bad taste in your mouth or did you want to go back and like, you know, get your grievances with that or you just were like, whatever shit happens and I'm just going to move on with my life? No, because that was my my second concussion within six days. Um, my very last sparring yeah. session, I got I got elbowed in the back of the head on accident by one of my sparring partners and um, fucked me up pretty good. And so so you probably that- had a pre, a pre um, you know, that, 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 uh, that, that uh, incident that you just talked about before that happened a few days, like six days before that probably, um, you know, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a neuroscientist, but you know, you, that it, it makes sense that your head was probably a little bit sensitive. And then yeah. that, that, that next move, um, obviously you, you don't have a coach saying, Oh, maybe we should postpone the fight by two weeks. So you, your brain can like recuperate. Like that's not, that's not how the world works. Right. Um, so that's interesting. And did you did you feel any? Did, is there was there a chip on the shoulder to like want to go back, or you were just like, "Fuck it!" Like I've done my I've done my bit. I've won the championship. You know, like shit happens, and my health is more important than than you know that that kind of egotistical mayo bravado. I think maybe like not for a year, maybe a year and a half after I retired. Mm. Um, I thought about it a couple times, but to be honest with you, dude, like I'm more than that. And I went back to, I went back to, to, to university. I finished my degree. There's just other things I want to do. I want to be able to do. What what do you have a degree in? I have, um, so I have my, I have my bachelor's in marketing and I have my minor in finance. Cool. So yeah, I got I got a degree in marketing. So just a business degree. I work for a company called Bear. Um, I do medical sales for Bear here in Arizona. And I'm not gonna lie, dude. Like fighting in the UFC while I wasn't a millionaire and didn't, you know, I, I didn't Fucking have like did it, the, you did the it. Greatest, the greatest career. It has opened up so many doors in my life. Like I got a, I got like my dream job with a great company, they take care of their employees. 
Um, but you did it. You did it. You fucking did it. You aspired to something and then you did it. And not many people yeah. in the world, and if you look back through the billions of people that have existed in history over the last 60,000 years, um, not many people get to do that. So, you know, you're a world champion. You fucking kicked ass. And, you know, that we've all got regrets. But at the same time, I, I personally think I've got a lot of friends that do a lot of a lot of crazy shit, you know, porn stars and A-list movie stars and fucking, you know, people that jump off, all sorts of weird people. And, you know, and you, um, I think variety, personally, I think variety is the spice of life. I think it's good to have, a, you know, the, you know, look at all the realness you get to do with, you know, you get to hang out with dogs and that even, you know, putting that dog with your, with your, your girlfriend's um, dad, you know, like, that's fucking cool, man. It's, it's, it's like that you can find fulfillment in those little things that, you know, you might not have been able to get before. And again, yeah. that's just my opinion, but um, it's good to have, it's good to have glory. And then it's good to have a little bit of loss. And like when you, when we finally do pass on and if we do get to see a light at the end of the tunnel and your light flashes before your eyes, like it's good to have a, you know, you got to have some low moments and some high moments. It can't just if it's just all high, then you just you just get bored. And you look at these, you look at all these, you know, you look at like people like Michael Jackson and like, you know, even I've you know I know I've hung out and been around people like Sean White and shit like that. And they're so famous that they've just got yes men around them, and they don't really have. I don't know if they understand struggle. Maybe they do. I don't know. I'm not. I can't walk in their shoes, but. It seems they like had to um struggle to get to where they were though, right? Like Sean yeah, White totally within stuff. reason. Of course they struggled, but I think that even in the adult in your adult life, I think it's really fulfilling to have day to day struggle and then overcome it. And I'm sure that they still have that. And again, this is just my opinion. But it's it's it, variety is a is a good fucking thing to have. It's it's nice to be able to, to to yeah, yeah, I used to be a UFC fighter, now I do this. You know, like it's not like you're holding on to what you did before. You've, you've picked a new vocation and you're like, yeah, that's what I'm into. I still train this and do that. And, and then now, you know, now I'm into this and I'm into that. But again, that's just my opinion. <laughs> no, it's, it's a great perspective. And I think, you know, just to kind of take that one step further is, you know, having done that career and having had to put all the work in that I had to put the work that I had to put in to, to mm. be as good as I was, um, you know, to go and do like a normal job, like what I'm doing now, like what, what my coworkers think is hard work. Fuck like, I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, like no motherfuckers trying to rip your arm off. Punch uh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not yeah, burning yeah. 2000 calories doing that, sending that fucking email. You're not sweating yeah. your ass off with someone trying to choke you. Mm. You know, like the, like this shit, like this shit is easy. And I'm out of 49, there are 49 people in my company in the United States. that do what I do. I'm number four in the company. And it's, I'm, I'm, it's because of my work ethic and like what a lot of these people won't do. I'm willing to do because it's, I, I know the way you are. And that's, the, that's really the, the, the difference between the haves and the have nots is doing all the shit that no one else wants to do. You know, it's not, it's not um, whether you run, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you do, if you want to be great at it, you've got to do all the, all the bullshit that everybody else isn't willing to do. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what do you think about the progression of MMA in, in today's day and age? Like, what do you think about people like Connor and and um, and and Masvidal and their kind of larger than life personalities? And you know, how do you feel that you, you know? Obviously, you've been a you've been a pretty big brick in the um in the wall and building 
what this is. Do you, do you ever reminisce and wish that you'd been born five years later? I mean, no, no, I, I don't because honestly, like I love my life right now. Um, I have an amazing girlfriend. I have, you know, who I plan on marrying. Um, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask her in September. Nice. And then um, I got I got all these dogs and shit. I got a great job. No, I I don't, man. I I'm very I, I feel I feel blessed to be where I'm at, and I'm I'm I have no regrets looking back on anything I've done. But I would say this: how how the sport of MMA has evolved and how it is today. It's I I, I was like Con, not Connor, but Jorge Masvidal and I are the same age. Yeah, like. We were fighting in parallel. We were running parallel along each other. Like he, he was on my radar from two thousand four, two thousand five. He but was still, on my radar. Still not that old. Like you could still be fighting in the UFC. Like it's not, it's not incomprehensible to be able to do that. But Donald Cerrone's older than me. Yeah, he's forty one. Was he thirty six? Thirty six. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, um, I was running parallel with those guys, but you know, I'm really. A lot of those, like like Jorge Masvidal, I'm I, I feel that I'm really I just I'm happy for him because honestly, him and Donald Cerrone, like they have nothing else. They're not yeah. going to go back to college and they're not going to go fucking get a real job. Can you imagine them going and, and doing a presentation in front of a CEO <laughs> for a major hospital? Fuck yeah. no, fuck no, they ain't going to do They're lifers. They're lifers. Yeah, they don't have anything else. So I'm just I'm glad that they're able to make some money. I hope that they I hope they have, you know, amazing long happy lives. Hopefully they own a gym or they, you know, they're they're able to make an impact after their career as far as coaching is concerned, but um as far as the state of MMA, I think I think it's it's way more competitive now than it was when I was in it. The guys are much better as far as just in in all aspects. I would say technique um, I would say conditioning, strength and conditioning, like all the injury prevention shit that they're doing now. Um, I say this sport is is as as at the most elite point it's ever been, and I think it's only going to get better. Now, as a as probably one of the most prominent experts in MMA, probably on planet Earth, um, do you think that strikers like Mars Vidal and Connor can beat? Khabib and Usman because Khabib is just a fucking animal and it just seems like no one can fucking touch him. And um, Usman, as much as I thought that fight the other day was really boring and I thought that foot stomping was really kind of pretty lame, he won the fight. And at the end of the day, in your world, it doesn't matter how you win the fight. If you win the fight and you get your arm raised, it doesn't matter what people think. It, the, 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 as the as a casual observer, I'm not a I'm, a I'm not a I'm not a martial artist. You know, I've done a little bit of training over my life, but I don't know fuck all about the sport that you do. As an expert on the subject, and you know, you strike and you do jujitsu and you do wrestling. Is it possible for someone like Connor or Mars Vidal to beat these guys that are just so good at what they do, and just they put them up against the side of the cage and they just maul them? Um, so the simple answer, yes. Um, no one thought I was going to beat Edson Barbosa. No one. Mm. He was at the top of his game. He was the most athletic, devastating striker that he was the next Anderson Silva. So 
as long as Khabib tries to throw punches with people, as long as Usman tries to throw punches with people, they're taking that chance of getting knocked out. So to answer your question, yes. I do think it's possible. Um, Do I think it's going to be those guys that do it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it'll be those guys that do it. But every dog has its day. John Jones has been an extremely big fish in a small pond because there just aren't great athletes at his, in his weight class. There just aren't. No, you it's think harder. about all high level. Like that I mean, weight level is just harder to have that agility. To, and he's kind of got that, that, um, that kind of uh, LeBron James thing where he's athletic and he's a big dude, you know? Well, you just said it right there. All the best athletes in, in the United States – they don't want to go fucking get their head punched in for fucking $20 or $3,000. Mm. All the best athletes are going to go play basketball, football, baseball. They're going to go do that shit. So if you, if, if we had, let's say like if LeBron James or Kobe Bryant, you know, you know, God rest his soul or um, any of these big time football players, let's say, uh, Terrell Owens or Jerry Wright, if any of those guys would have went into MMA, mm. they would be fucking monsters. But yeah. If they, they, if they would have went the same, that- the same work ethic to their athletic talent and, and um, you know, maybe they wouldn't have the same tenacity that you guys do though. That's it. That's also a, I think that's also, I think your, while basketball and, and, and um, you know, what you call football, a really high level, in, extremely competitive because everybody has access to them. Everyone can go, especially yeah. basketball. All you need is a fucking ball and a hoop. Um, but I think that it takes a certain type of person to get kicked in the head and then get back up. You yeah. know, that's, that's a, and I, I'm, I'm really curious to see like, um, you know, I, I hope Connor beats Khabib, but I don't think he can. I don't think that, I think once you've tried, once you've, um, once you've tasted that glory life, like, and he's a fucking, he's an amazing fighter. He's incredibly, and he seems like a nice, he seems like a pretty cool dude. You know, he's still with his wife. I don't know, maybe he cheated on her a couple of times, but really, like, that would be, that would be pretty hard not to do in his position. Um, yeah. You know, and you can tell that he's been, you can tell he's, you know, taken, he's done the, you know, he's been on the, on the nose candy at a, at a few moments and, and fucked up. And that happens to every fucking body that does, that fucks with that with that lifestyle and you know, it's, it, there's a lot of people in a lot of high places that, that fuck around with that shit. It doesn't matter where you live. Um, and it, it would, I really hope that he does it cause I would love to see Connor's legacy be that he came back and fucking beat him. But that guy's just, he, he, he lives and breathes it. And his father is like, well, his father, his father, isn't he the coach of the son, like one of the best coach, some coaches in the world or something like that. His father passed away to COVID. Oh, did he? I, yeah. That was yesterday. That was in the last couple of days, wasn't it? It was in like probably the last like week, week and a half. I remember seeing it on Instagram. It was. That's horrible. Yeah. And I guess now he, he, he agreed to take a fight in uh, Fight Island in Abu Dhabi recently too, which is all of this is bizarre, man. I, I don't know how he's able to fight after losing his father because everything I can see, everything I've seen online and I've met Khabib a couple times. Like, dude, I, I never met him before in my life. He came, he comes up, shakes my hand, gives me a hug. Like, oh, he seems like a cool. He seems like a good, a good down to earth dude. Really nice guy. He didn't know me from fucking shit, but he he knew who I was because he he had seen me fight before, obviously. And yeah. you know, I was kind of an old timer, 
But yeah, he like shook my hand, came up, gave me a hug. I had no idea. Like I never met. I recognized him. I was, I had no idea. Like we never met. So he's a really nice guy. And I, for him to be that kind and to be that humble, I can only imagine the type of man his father was. And so uh, what he's going through right now, I do not envy him. And if there was ever a time to beat Khabib, it would be now. It would be, it would be this next fight. What a gnarly yeah, dude did you put his title on the line and his un, untouched career when he's in that when he's in that headspace. But he's, you know, I think that Dagestan. I've been to Russia before, and um, I've got a lot of friends from Russia, and I think Russia's a very gnarly place, a lot more gnarly than probably what most of the Western world understands. And where he's from, Dagestan is like one of the gnarliest places in Russia. Probably one of the nicest places in the world, and for him, to, him to grow up, and his he's a sambo art champion, and his dad's the trainer. Like, could you imagine how many people wanted to square off against him to try and get a like a name for themselves? Like, fuck, man, that's not like he's he's different breed, man. He's like a he's just an animal. So I, I've, I'm I'm sorry for his loss. That's horrible. It's really fucking sad. I, this COVID thing has just just caused so much chaos in the world. Yeah. How's it affected your day to day life with your um with your pharmacy sales? So we're um I'm I'm number four in the company. My my numbers I'm still my numbers are still doing well. Things have obviously slowed down. Um, I'm not allowed to go into any of the hospitals, so I'm only working from home, working remotely. Um, it's really calls? hard to it is really hard to get a, get in touch with with people um, because they're so busy with this COVID thing, but. One of one of the benefits that I have is I sell specifically in radiology, okay. and CT is indicated for COVID. So they can use one of our injectors for a CT X-ray or for a CT scan of someone's lungs. Yeah. Um. So the fact that like my well, product and it makes your life easier. A little bit, yeah. But now, but there's there's a double edged sword to it because on the other end. Other side, they don't want to buy new equipment because everybody's trying to save their money because they don't know what the hell is going on with COVID. Are they going to need to add more staff, more beds to the hospital because of all this shit? Are they going to have to buy you know ten thousand ventilators? They don't know. So it's I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, things are slowly getting better, but it's definitely it's definitely scary out here and. My work wasn't heavily impacted, which, you know, thank God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm lucky, dude. I'm just, I'm fucking lucky right now. So just a couple more questions before I leave you back to your, to your normal life. And thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been a really interesting conversation. Um, you, you've, you've spilled some beans on a few subjects that, um, that make me really curious, you know, like about, about losing and about humility and about the chip on the shoulder and about how, having to fight bigger guys and, you know, you grew up in a you, you you existed in a certain element where the the lighter weights weren't as um you know put up on the on the glory pedestal as they they are now. You know, yeah. and now there's not really you don't really see the heavyweight guys as much. You know, obviously, yeah. um, you know, like John Jones and um um other homie um Deepe. Daniel Daniel um Cormier Cormier um but like uh, there doesn't seem the talent pool doesn't seem to be as deep in those you know, like you said, in the bigger fields. Um, so tell me as a, as an individual on the come up now, what, what would you, what would you say to your younger self if you were coming into the game now as a, as a fresh off the bat, little 18 year old 
you know, you've just won a, you've just won a, a you know, come second at nationals at, in, um, in wrestling. Yeah. What would you, what would, would you, would you, would you, would you, would you follow the same trajectory or would you, do you think that now that it's gotten so big of a sport that you, there's like some added elements in, in there that you would add? Um, that's actually a really, really good question. And I, and I think I have a, I think I have a good answer for that. Um, what the advice I would give to myself is actually has nothing to do about the sport. Essentially, it's about the business side of the sport. Yeah. Um, I'm a very emotional person, and I, I was a purist because in amateur wrestling you don't make any money. You do, you don't make any money. You don't. Girls aren't showing up to your fucking wrestling matches <laughs> trying to bang the fucking badass wrestler. They're just not. They're 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 not. Yeah. You, you go out there and you do it for the own personal satisfaction, the glory that you, you put in the hard work and you reap the benefit because you got the win, you got your hand raised. And so the advice I would give to myself is fighting is not that. Ignore the business. Stay out of the business. Do not think about the business. Just enjoy the fight. Enjoy the process of training being able to be essentially a kid a little bit longer because that's all that's all professional athletes are. We're just fucking kids. We get to we get to prolong that kid life where yeah, totally. we don't have real responsibilities. We don't have to fucking go to work and punch a clock at eight in the morning or nine in the morning. Yeah. Like we get to sleep in if we want to, or we can, you know, maybe we get up early, we work out, but then we go home, we can take a nap. We have freedom. Willie's World! Willie's World! Party time! Excellent! The dopest dope you're ever going to smoke. And if you enjoyed what you heard on today's episode, then consider going balls deep into the like button, subscribing to stay up to date on future episodes, and telling me what your favourite moment was from this episode with a comment below. Okay. All right.